Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Gist is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer and save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up for a no-risk trial and get a $110 bonus offer when you visit Stamps.com and use the promo code THEGIST. It's Wednesday, November 5th, 2014. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. So since Barack Obama was elected in 2008, the number of Democratic senators has dropped by about 20%, and the number of members of the House of Representatives who are Democrats dropped by about 25%. The electoral map this year, yesterday, was bad for Democrats. Sure it was. And then you have the effect of midterms. So in the last 100 years, since Woodrow Wilson's second midterm, there have been 25 times the House all stood for re-election and 25 times that a third of the Senate stood for election. The president's party has gained seats seven times, seven out of 50. So yeah, that's a trend. However, yesterday was no mere extension of that trend. Yesterday was an exacerbation of that trend. Republicans won all but one close Senate race. They won a bunch of blue state governor races. How about this? Going into yesterday, Republicans controlled 59 of 98 legislative chambers. Nebraska screws up the number. That's why it's not 100. They have one legislature and it's not partisan. Fine. But now Republicans control both Nevada Assembly and Senate, the Minnesota House, the New Mexico House, the Maine House, the West Virginia House, the New Hampshire House. It sounds like I'm ticking off Mitt Romney's real estate holdings, doesn't it? Still, the president was upbeat. I guess he has to be that way or portray himself as such. I guess he had to say something along the lines of, What's most important to the American people right now, the resounding message, not just of this election, but basically the last several, is get stuff done. And you know what? I kind of believe them. I think there are reasons for optimism. Let me lay out four. One, there are just some parts of the Republican agenda that I favor, like patent reform. This was blocked by Democrats. It's going to get done under Republicans. Dox the trolls. Two, nothing was getting done anyway. I think the election served as a choke point. Would Ebola have been so politicized? Would ISIS have been so politicized? Maybe yes, maybe no, but you can't make the argument that it didn't at least make some things worse. Three, the politics of an upcoming presidential election, they're a lot less insular and a lot more liberating than what we just saw. So before the midterms, Republicans could dig in their heels on an issue like immigration reform. The calculations for a general election, a presidential election are a lot different. And four, I think it means more moderation among Republicans. You hear any mention of the Tea Party and all the coverage last night? Maybe you heard it in a phrase like, North Carolina's Tom Tillis defeated a Tea Party candidate on his way to beating Kay Hagan. I don't know that Senate Republicans can be called moderate by historic standards, but I think they've calmed down a lot about threats from their right flank. But you know what? I bet right now you're a little full of this political analysis. Maybe not. I invite you to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash slategist. You could debate me or tell me why I'm wrong or tell me why I'm right. But what I'm going to do for you in the show today is turn to the world of toys. 
a comedy writer enters the toy biz. And in the spiel, we'll be talking about the nominees for the Toy Hall of Fame. But first, we're going to go back to the world of the political and to the Hawkeye state we go. So midterms are usually not good for the party in power, be they a thumping, a shellacking, or whatever the heck this one was, a barackin'. Here joining me now is Slate senior writer Josh Voorhees. He's in Iowa. He just covered the successful Joni Ernst run for the Senate. Hello, Josh. How's it going, Mike? I'm great. All right, let's try to, obviously, we know where the headwinds were. We know, looking back now, and it seemed that way beforehand, that Republicans had a big advantage. You could argue, was it just anti-incumbent? No, it really did seem like a Republican advantage. But was it also, did you see in that race, have you seen in other races, Democratic missteps along the way? Well, out here in Iowa, certainly Bruce Braley, who was a Democratic candidate, had his fair share of missteps. Kind of the most famous one was early in the campaign, there was a video released where he kind of infamously called Chuck Grassley, who's the Republican senator, something denigrated into something to the effect of he's just a farmer without a law, law school degree, which isn't something that's going to play so well in the heartland for kind of obvious reasons. Then kind of along the way, Braley seemed to just, he started out as kind of the favorite. Um, he was running to, to hold on to kind of a Democratic seat that had been blue for 30 years with Tom Harkin. But he never really kind of generated the energy, unlike a lot of the other candidates. He never ran from Obama. He, he, he didn't run from Obama, but he also didn't run towards him. He kind of did a little bit of half and half. Yeah. And then meanwhile, Joni just kind of gave, gave a kind of a personality-driven campaign that, that really seemed to resonate with the Iowa voters for, for kind of a variety of reasons. A lot of that was, was pretty, pretty anti-Obama, but also largely just anti Washington and status quo in general. Right. But I could, I think I could make the case that if we didn't know who won and it was Braley who won, I could say, well, you know, Joni Ernst just kept hitting on those, uh, I'm going to castrate a pig ads that got pretty old. Like in Colorado, Mark Udall kept hitting on reproductive issues. Well, now we know that it was not the right thing to say in Colorado to keep repeating this one line. But in Joni Ernst's case, talking about, you know, cutting pork or whatever, turned out to be a successful line. Is that because one candidate was better or is it just because of what the climate was? It seemed very inhospitable to Democrats who ran towards Obama, to Alison Lundegren Grimes, who in Kentucky wouldn't even say if she voted for Obama. I don't know if there was much that Democrats could have done. Yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly the, the headwinds were strong. Braley was in kind of a, a more unusual position, both as a sitting congressman. He was part of the most unpopular and least productive Congress of all time. But here he was running for a Senate seat. So we didn't even have kind of the, the incumbency argument you saw down in Louisiana with Mary Landrieu. He was probably doubly screwed, but, but certainly despite starting kind of as a moderate favorite, as, as the summer dragged on, I, I, I don't think anyone thought this was going to be a walk for, for any Democrats. Just ultimately, while the, the complete shellacking or barackin' or whatever it is we're calling them was a surprise, the fact that it was something close certainly wasn't. Well, now that Republicans control both houses, they don't have a veto-proof majority in the Senate, don't they have to... Rep- don't they have to pass some stuff rather than just say, we once more tried to vote against Obamacare, root and branch? Yeah, I mean, you, you would hope so. You would hope that they put forward some type of, of legislative agenda. So Mitch McConnell, who will be the, the new majority leader, finds himself in a position that, that John Boehner found himself when, when Republicans took the House a few years ago. He has a majority, but he's also kind of wrangling what's still a pretty divided party. That'll be even more difficult for McConnell because he's dealing with a smaller number of senators, yes, but a lot of the people out there on a little bit 
closer to the extremes of his party are the same people that are in the, the discussion for 2016. So he needs every vote he can get to move any type of agenda, but, but any vote he can get has got to include Ted Cruz and, and Rand Paul and, and Marco Rubio, guys that are going to be, despite being in Washington, as we've just seen, running against Washington is kind of the answer. As far as what that could be, it's been suggested, and you've covered a lot of environmental issues, Keystone Pipeline is something that could get done. I've been on the road a little bit, so I haven't seen each and every kind of result here today, all the, all the close calls, but it, but it looks as though there'll be a majority of senators that have, in one way or another, indicated their support for, for Keystone. So that's certainly going to put some pressure on Obama, who has kind of dragged his feet for a variety of reasons on that. In the larger sense, in the environment, it's going to be very interesting. With Republicans taking control of, of the Senate in this next Congress, the, the gentleman that's in line to be the head of the Environmental and Public Works Committee is uh, James Inhofe, a uh, Oklahoma Republican who is one of the, the largest science climate um, skeptics you're going to find. He wrote a book in 2012 that I think the title was The Greatest Hoax of All Time or something to that effect, referring to climate change. While on the one hand they're pushing for something like Keystone, on the other hand, if they're going to at least make a push to roll back a lot of the EPA kind of power and kind of some regulations Obama's put forward. Keystone has obviously been kind of the, the big target of the environmental community as they've been on the offensive recently. But now not only might lose that, they're going to find themselves defending kind of the small gains that they have made kind of at EPA during the, the last couple of years. Josh Voorhees is author of The Greatest Hoax, How the Global Warming Conspiracy Threatens Your Future. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was Senator James Inhofe. Josh Voorhees is a senior writer for Slate.com. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Mike. Mailing your letters and packages has gotten a lot easier and quicker. Gotten. Stamps.com's been around for like 18 years, but I'd like to dispel some myths some misconceptions about Stamps.com. Before I do that, let's state the affirmative case, right? Stamps.com allows you to mail and ship anything, anywhere using your computer and printer. No more trips to the post office, no more postage meters. Just click print, mail any letter or package. Now, a lot of fans, there are a lot of fans of the post office. In theory, I'm a fan. In practice, I'm a fan. If I have a stamp, I put on the letter, it goes across the country to California. I kind of feel bad. Is Stamps.com putting the post office out of business? Oh, no. Quite the contrary. The post office loves Stamps.com. Stamps.com partners with the post office, and the post office looks at Stamps.com as a way to get people out of their lines, right, to make things go smoother in the post office. So here's the deal with the gist. We're offering a special offer. It's a no-risk trial plus $110 bonus offer. It includes this digital scale I mentioned and $55 in free postage. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in the gist, that's Stamps.com, enter the gist. Andy Breckman is many things. For years, he was a writer for David Letterman, then for many years wrote sketches on Saturday Night Live, co-created the TV show Monk, and hosts, I think my favorite free-form radio show without a theme every week, <laughs> seven-second delay. But now, Andy Breckman, oh, I should also say, you might hear this, he's known for chewing gum into a microphone. Hello, Andy. Uh, it's kind of my trademark. My fans, <laughs> my fans would wonder if it was really me. Right. If I wasn't we, chomping. But now he has a new foray, a new late life invention. Here he is, taking the gum out, throwing yeah, doing, the gum away. I've shamed a, him. Trying yeah. to be a good boy. Thank you. Uh, Tell me what you're up to. Oh, uh, you know, for 30 years, as you mentioned, I was I was uh, in the trenches, mm-hmm. in the comedy trenches, uh, writing uh, sketches and then uh, 
film, TV, some movies, uh, some of which I'm proud of and some of which I don't mention. Which are you uh, proud of stuff? Uh, of the movies? Yes. Uh, well, the last movie I had produced was a movie that Jerry Zucker directed called Rat Race. Yes. Which I did enjoy uh, working on. Then I kind of stumbled into television, uh, series television, did Monk. And I did that for 30 years. And when Monk ended, I, I was kind of... Uh, feeling burnt out. I, I sort of had done everything mm-hmm. that I had wanted to do. I got very lucky. I felt very blessed. And I was looking around for uh, for Act 3, you know, what to do next. And I have always admired people that invent things, patent things, bring products to market, mm-hmm. go out on a limb, risk yeah. it all, uh, start out in their garage. Those stories right. always really appeal to me. Inventions it, that help humanity, that increase productivity, that no, get us closer no, to no, a not, human idea. No. Yeah, I know. In theory, I understand uh-huh. what you're saying, but it, it doesn't apply here. Uh, the I came up with a, I, I founded a toy company, uh-huh. and uh, after kicking it after kicking various models around, I I finally just I landed on this one. Uh, fun for almost the whole family. <laughs> But, that's, but, that's the motto of my little toy company. But bringing joy, but inspiring young minds, expanding mm. consciousness. Yeah, maybe. That's, okay. Yeah, let's we'll say maybe. Yeah. Give, me a, give me a couple of... <laughs> and it's called Uncle Andy's Toys. Uncle Andy Toys <laughs> Uncle uh, Incorporated. Andy toys. And I'm having a great, great time. And I'm uh, having a little success. I'm having enough success... Not to quit, which might be the worst possible scenario. <laughs> I might be in better shape if I had just failed right away. But I'm uh, I'm truly enjoying it. I've been developing apps, various products. I have things. Be- I have a little uh, travel game being made in China uh-huh. now, and I have a toy coming out next Christmas, a game for kids that I sold to a uh, big international company called Goliath uh, Games. And That's if, not like the fake name. I mean, if you no, put, no, 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 they're huge. If you put Goliath Games in a script, a certain kind of genre will be a little. You too think on an the alar- nose, alarms right? would go yeah, off? Yeah, uh, it's too on the on the nose. <laughs> and uh, my game, it'll be out next year, is called Who Tooted. Uh-huh. It's kind of a bluffing game where there's a a fat guy in the middle of the table, little figurine who's uh, farting, and one of the four players is controlling the farts, and everyone has to bet on on who's tooting. It's a it's kind of a poker game for kids in, with a fart machine built in. It's it's you can't argue with it. It's just, it's did just you, a home run on every on every count. Did you want to call it who farted? But we're told no. I knew yeah. no. I knew from the beginning that who tooted would be more commercial. And and this company is in Belgium, and they debated what to call it. And I don't know if tooted will translate. They're in twenty different countries. It'll yeah. be an international thing. But the, so far, who tooted is sticking as the name. Is there like an extra layer that? Uh, you can actually play the game, but then in the middle of gameplay, someone could disrupt things by actually tooting. It's so funny that you mentioned that. My son, <laughs> my son Josh, suggested a, a, an additional rule. His suggestion was that if you toot in real life, you get to move one space. The board is <laughs> the board is ten spaces long, and uh, we have had people in some of our test games win the game on a real life toot, which. I believe is a first in sports history. I don't think there's any other game ever in the history of the world that you could win with a fart. You know, it's it's very developing these games. It's actually a very interesting process. You have to play it hundreds of times uh-huh. to make sure the rules work. Monopoly was actually field tested like for ten years. Yeah, and by the you way, know, game. I, I strangely, I I'm extremely interested in Monopoly, and I've interviewed the guy who runs the game lab at NYU. It's a terribly designed game, by the way. There are well, a lot Monopoly of is Monopoly. not a great game. Yeah, I think yeah. I think who tooted. I'm very proud of the gameplay and and getting gameplay to you know getting everyone involved in the game, every player, and and making the rules fair and making 
making the game move. It's it's a real science that I'm learning. And then you go around. It's kind of like a bizarro world show business. You develop these things just as I used to develop movie pitches or TV yeah. pitches. And then you go to Mattel or Hasbro. You go to these spin master in Toronto and you pitch them. I have a toy agent, you know, that takes me around, <laughs> and it's like a pimp, you know, takes me around, and and you pitch these toys yeah. uh, very much like you would pitch a movie idea, uh, except in this case you're actually walking with a cardboard box, and you open the box, and you play the game with these executives. Uh, was the idea to have a game empire, or were, was the idea first just to make a game, one game? The idea was, it's a good question, the idea was to do something different, mm-hmm. to try something new. I'm not a Hindu. I don't believe I have nine lives. You know, I had the one life, and I was uh, in my late 50s, and I just wanted to enjoy myself. Wanted, You know, I didn't want to go gentle into that good night. A lot of writers uh, at my age uh, teach. They go to up to Columbia, and they teach. <laughs> They teach kids how to write funny scripts. And I tried that, and it's not for me at all. So your app is a trivia game with almost impossible-seeming trivia questions. That even Challenging questions. Challenging questions. How much do you want to disclose about oh, this? I'll tell, I'll, yes. t- I'll tell it all. The game is called Rigged Trivia. You, go on the, you, you, buy, you download Rigged Trivia, and it tells you how to play. And uh, then it does something that no other app does. It has a little switch that says Disguise the Game. And you click on that switch, and Rig Trivia transforms, it morphs, into an ordinary-looking game called Ivy League Trivia. Mm-hmm. And so on your phone, it looks like a boring trivia game. The difference is there is a clue in each question. There's a little trick to each question that tells you the correct answer. Uh, so your 8-, 9-, 10-year-old child or niece can answer every single question on advanced physics, on golf, uh, history, on uh, geography, uh, 19th century French poetry. You will never miss a question. There are multiple choice questions, but I I developed a game with a magician friend of mine. I said, give me a very, very subtle way that no one will ever notice that you can uh, cheat on a trivia game. Well, I'll give you an example. So the word quantum is Latin for, this is an actual question in your game, the word quantum is Latin for... A, uncertainty, B, parallel, C, natural, D, what amount? Now, my uh, eight-year-old son could answer that. He, without, without blinking, the answer is D. And there's a trick to it. If you go and download Rick Trivia, you'll, you'll learn the trick. It basically was, is all inspired by my observation that people love to play games, but they don't like to lose. Yes. They like to win games. Yes. So that was what I observed. I find that that but very much games... comports with my enjoyment of things like fantasy football and Exactly. Poker but and winning games, in, yeah. until Rig Trivia came along, winning games was very, very challenging and difficult. You yeah. had to know things and study things yeah. or have some kind of skill or talent. Yeah. Very, very tricky. Very, very yeah. time-consuming. Uh, but thanks to Rig Trivia... You can just, you can look smart almost instantly. So for, you know, I think an interview in two years might be a slightly different story. But right now, I'm having a lot of fun and 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 uh, and uh, very excited to uh, to be here to promote them. And are the gatekeepers in the toy and games industry? How are they similar? How are they different to those same people like Lorne Michaels or uh, Bob Morton or people who are the gatekeepers the, in the comedy industry? It's a great question, and the parallels are uncanny. Just like. Just like uh, the movie and TV business now, there are four or five big buyers. Mm-hmm. They, every, every, it's all been consolidated. You know, Hasbro and Mattel have gobbled up all the little companies. And there are four or five big buyers and then, uh, you know, satellite buyers, smaller, smaller companies out there. And you go and you uh, are meeting these people and they're very smart, very knowledgeable people. They're young people and they love 
games. They grew up at the kitchen table with their parents playing and thinking about games. The same way I grew up thinking about comedy. You know, this was their life. And as soon as, and just like if you're talking to a, a veteran comedy writer, as soon as you pitch something or, or suggest an idea, they get it right mm-hmm. away. And they can tell you where it's been done and how it won't work or how it might work and who tried it first. Um, these game people, you start playing a game with them and they get it right away. And also, by the way, the, the other thing that's similar is it's a numbers game. If you succeed one in every 20 pitches, yeah. you have a career. I tell young people when they ask, and they never do, but when, <laughs> if they did ask, I tell them, you know, you've got to just, just keep plugging, keep plugging. And just remember, if you get one good phone call a year, yeah. Yeah. you have a career. Yeah. You know, that's all it takes to build a career. And, uh, and I don't know, it might be true in the radio business as well. Just one, 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 uh, one square forward every year is all, yeah. is all you need. Unfortunately, you do host a call-in radio show that requires more than that. The one good phone call a year. Yes, that's the I other do. thing. That but that's all, <laughs> that's all we get. We still that's all we get. Andy Breckman is now the titular Uncle Andy of Uncle Andy Toys. Thank you so much, Andy. Hey, this was uh, pretty painless. back 43 minutes after the hour we are talking about this vote this hall of fame vote the national toy hall of fame been talking about it all show and let me tell you folks i haven't gotten to this yet the idea that somehow pots and pans are a legitimate contender pots and pans i mean i understand the ball is in the hall i understand the blanket is in the hall you can't undo past miscarriages of justice it was a different era what we know now about why the blanket got in the hall but pots and pans that just baffles the mind all right let's go through some of these contenders to me rubik's cube First ballot, no-brainer. The cube is in the hall. Then you got slip and slide. I also think this gets in. Granted, not all the writers were on the friendliest terms with slip and slide back in slip and slide's playing days. Still, I think slip and slide makes it an easy. But remember what the criteria are for the voters. One, icon status. Two, longevity. Three, discovery. The toy fosters learning, creativity, or discovery through play. And four, innovation. The toy profoundly changed play or toy design. And to me, this is why I do not think, controversial here, I do not think My Little Pony makes the haul. To me, My Little Pony is a compiler. I am a harsh grader. I will say this. I'm a harsh grader. Andrew, can we get the stats on My Little Pony? Can we get the book on that so we could look up My Little Pony stats? Ugh, it's 2014. All of this is online, Mike. Can you tell me, when did My Little Pony have her best years? I'll just go to wikipedia.com. The TV series ran from 1986 to 1987, and they discontinued the line in the U.S. in 1992, and then it exploded in popularity again in 2010. All right, thanks for that. I get it. I get it. Applejack, Flutterfly, Pinkie Pie, a murderer's row of ponies, but a couple thoughts here. There were a whole lot of years in there that My Little Pony did nothing, whether it was injury or contract status, whatever. And there was a lot of protection in the Hasbro lineup. To me, My Little Pony is a compiler. Did My Little Pony ever have an MVP season? Did My Little Pony put together a Cabbage Patch-like season? No, I keep My Little Pony out. Remember, discovery innovation. Remember. Also, there is no character clause for the Hall of Fame. This is not why Gumby has been excluded. So that is another important point as we go through this list of contenders. Let's go to the phone. Chris from Covington. Chris, you're on the toy. 
Yeah, hey, Mike, I just wanted to call in and say that this year Mr. Potato Head has got to get in the hall. Yeah, Mr. Potato Head is already in the hall, Chris. Yeah, well, I just think that he teaches you the fundamentals. You know, you only got a set number of holes, a set number of body parts to put in. There aren't that many choices. It kind of limits your play, but I think it'll be a constructive Chris, you're not listening to me. Mr. Potato Head is in the hall. He's already in the hall. Agricultural time in America, classic time. He's in the hall, Chris. Thank you for the call. Folks. If they have a Toy Hall of Fame, you can't have a Toy Hall of Fame without a Mr. Potato Head being in the Hall of Fame. I mean, if you think they have a Toy Hall of Fame without a Mr. Potato Head, I'm sorry, you're lost. You're just lost. All right, let's go now to John from Methuen. John, what's up? Mike, uh, first time, long time. Uh, look, uh, Little Green Army Men. I think they gotta be. Uh, they got to be in there. All right, thanks for the call, John. Yeah, to me, Little Green Army Men, I mean... Do you even think of them as a toy without Toy Story, without the movie's Toy Story? They were just a thing that was there. They were just like the easiest shape for the Chinese to make. And I know the movie made them seem fun, but they didn't move. No innovation, no discovery, just not there. I'm against Little Green Army Men. All right, next call. Emmett from the Upper East Side. Emmett, you're on the air. Hi, Mike. What's a long time? Hi, go ahead. Don't cut me off, Mike, but... I like turtles. Yeah, okay, and thanks for the call, Emmett. So, all right, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles... Ready? Not a toy. Not a toy. A cartoon, a TV show, made the toy out of the TV show. That's the opposite. I don't even like My Little Pony, but My Little Pony is a toy. Now, you're going to tell me that the Star Wars figures were obviously a movie before they were a toy, but they're such a good toy. To me, the VORP, the value over replacement playthings of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is very low. You got Donatello, you got Michelangelo, you got Raphael, you got Leonardo. Let's put them up against the Erector set, right? Put them up against Marbles. I mean, these are two Hall of Famers already. I mean, Marbles, you can't say Marbles in the same breath as you say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. All right, let's say this. You're going over your friend's house and you want to play Marbles and you hear he doesn't have Marbles. Well, your day is ruined. But if you want to play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the next question is, all right, you got Star Wars figures, you got a 3CPO, I'm fine, all right? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, to me, they're just replacement-level action figures. Okay, let's get one more phone call in here. Let's squeeze in uh, Doris from Weehawken. Hello, dear. Hello. Go ahead. You're on the air. Yes, yeah, I'd like to bring up uh, Mrs. Potato Head. Oh, you didn't hear me? We have discussed this. Mr. Potato Head is in the Hall of no, Fame. I already no, said no, no, this no, you're not call. hearing me. Mrs. Potato Head. Oh, Mrs. Potato Head. Interesting. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah, if uh, if Raggedy Andy can get voted in five years after Raggedy Ann, uh, then Mrs. Potato Head should be able to. <laughs> the cardboard true, box happened. is in the Well, okay, okay, site. thank you. Thank. We got to cut you off there. You can't lo- use that language, dear. I will, t- I will tell you, folks, cardboard box is in the Hall of Fame. I, you know, they have that Young Timers Committee. They got a bunch of two-year-olds. They crawled in the box. They voted for it. This was before they revised the voting procedures. I get it. But Mr. Mrs. Potato, I haven't thought of this yet. No, I don't like it. To me, Mrs. Potato Head is just a Mr. Potato Head with a purse, maybe a different hat. It's not its own toy. It's as if there were Lincoln Logs and Mary Todd Lincoln Logs. What, we got to make a Hall of Fame for the pink Legos, you know what I'm saying? So rounding out the list, here are the other ones we haven't talked about. Paper airplane operation, not this year. I don't think with Obamacare, it's a controversial choice. Uh, you know, what I think is on the bubble this year. Bubbles, yeah, Bubbles is on the ballot. I think Bubbles is a bubble candidate because what are you going to do if you vote Bubbles? Next, you got to vote in a water sprinkler, right? You got to vote in sunshine and a lawn. This is the problem with natural phenomenon. All right, 
When we come back, we're going to talk to last year's inductee, Rubber Duck. Rubber Duck is going to join us here, top of the hour, and uh, Jay Glazer Fox. Back after this. And that's it. Andrea Salenzi, the Gist's producer, owns a custom-made Stratego set that's all bombs and three generals. Joel Meyer, managing producer of Slate Podcast, is a traditionalist who believes that the purple hippo is Lizzie, the orange is Henry, the green is Homer, and the yellow one is Harry. None of this nonsense of replacing Lizzie with a pink one named Happy, sacrilege. Andy Bowers, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, actually pioneered an early form of podcasting. But consumers found the downloading process too cumbersome via a Teddy Ruxpin doll. You can subscribe on iTunes or give us a listen on Stitcher. Get our daily email at slate.com slash gist email. Facebook.com slash slate gist is a place and a forum for our discussions. Email the gist at slate.com. You know, politics really is a game when you think about it. The object, connect four of your attack ads in a row while preventing your opponent from doing the same. But watch out, your opponent can sneak up on you and win the game. Where? I can see. Here, diagonally, by linking your policies to the unpopular incumbent. Pretty sneaky, sis. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Allison Benedict, co-host of Slate's parenting podcast, Mom and Dad Are Fighting. On this week's show, we're talking about teens and phones, when kids should get them, what they do with them, and how much parents should freak out about them. Please search for Mom and Dad Are Fighting on iTunes or visit slate.com slash podcasts.